Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice was written by Jane Austen and published in 1813. And the film adaptation we're discussing this episode uh, was directed by Joe Wright and came out in 2005. And this is a patron request by a very special patron, dear to our hearts. Um, It's my sister, Annette. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, she's my sister, but yes, she's also a patron. So um, it is her turn to request an episode. She's paid for this privilege. (laughs) Being a family member doesn't mean that you get uh, unlimited requests. Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, But she has suggested other episodes in the past, but this is her official patron request. She Um, she used up her family request, (laughs) so she's only limited to patron requests now. (laughs) So um, we're really excited to do a patron request. I'm excited to talk about Annette's views on this book and movie adaptation. And I just, I love Jane Austen. We did an episode in the past on Emma. Mm -hmm. Um, and compared it to the Clueless movie that's based on the novel. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. Find that one. It is. Also, if you're someone who might be disappointed, we're not talking about the BBC uh, miniseries adaptation, fret not, because we are doing a bonus episode for patrons on the four-part miniseries uh, BBC adaptation. Uh, I think it's six-part. Oh, is it six part? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) On the six part. Wow. Even more content. (laughs) Yes. Anyone who's a fan of the Jennifer Ale, Colin Firth, BBC 1995 version, we're going to do a whole episode where we talk about that. Um, It is for patrons only, but any patrons can listen to our bonus podcast called After Credits. Um, And if you contribute at the $1 level, $5 level, any level, you get access to that bonus podcast. Mm -hmm. So if you've been thinking about it, maybe now's the time. Um, You definitely don't want to miss our discussion on the BBC version. No. And I mean, we have like, I think up to 20 bonus episodes now that you'd have access to. And we do have um, uh, RSS feed uh, link that you can plug into your podcast apps too. So you can listen to them like any other podcast. So yeah, Yeah. uh, consider giving to our Patreon if that sounds enticing at all. (laughs) But Adina, we have so much to discuss this episode. We have so much to discuss. We've got a hefty, hefty load. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why. Why did you say that? (laughs) Because I panicked because I couldn't think of another word. (laughs) Are you doing like a brawny commercial or like a hefty... <laughs> only only the strength of Bronny can uh, tackle this much content. <laughs> we have a lot to discuss. Um, this is a really exciting um, adaptation for us to talk about um, because I am such a big Jane Austen fan. So whenever we get the chance, I'm just like so excited to discuss. Yeah. And like we, you know, talked about Emma before. So this is my second book of Jane Austen's that I've read. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're just... I don't know. They're not nearly like what I was expecting, I think, you know, when you as someone who is unfamiliar with their work, you know, uh, when you think of Jane Austen, I certainly had a different idea in my head than like how she actually writes and what her stories are actually like. Yeah. So, yeah, I really enjoyed getting to read her. 
Let's talk about this story a little more in particular, the Bennett family, mm-hmm. who are the heroes of this story. So we have well, Mr. and Mrs. a couple Mrs. of them are heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get it carried away. We have Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, uh, a married couple, and they have five daughters. Yes, we have. Uh, leading the charge, Jane as the oldest daughter, followed by Elizabeth, who is the main character, essentially, mm-hmm. of this story. Then you have... Kitty. Mary. Or Mary, I'm sorry. Mary's <laughs> Mary's often forgotten. <laughs> Mary is the middle child uh, and the kind of prudish, boring one. Yeah. Followed by Kitty. Who seems like the youngest, but is not the youngest. Because Lydia's the youngest. Yes. And which is weird because Kitty and Lydia are like an uh, like a pairing. Yeah. But Lydia often kind of leads them. You know yeah. what I mean? Kitty is often following Lydia, which is strange and interesting. Yeah. And Jane is beautiful, quiet, good-natured, thinks everyone is cool. Lizzie likes to laugh at people and yes. is very clever. And then, like we said, Mary is kind of boring. And then Kitty and Lydia are just very silly and flirtatious. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett have, like, a very interesting dynamic. Mrs. Bennett is just, like, a raw nerve of, like... Restless energy. Yes, and Mr. Bennett is just dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's his whole character, is just dealing with Constantly her. dealing with it. Yeah, Mrs. Bennett, I think in the book it says, like, her one motivation in life is to marry her daughters off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so th- that's kind of, like, the main family, and clearly... Uh, the problem is that Mr. Bennett had five daughters and no sons, and so he has no one to, like, leave, uh, his estate to. Yeah, there's or his fortune. something called an entailment, which basically means that, um, the property and all of the money attached to the property will, um... Be inherited by the closest male relative. Yeah. Um. So right now, that's not any of them. So they could basically, when Mr. Bennett dies, their the wife and children could like lose everything. Yeah, they'll be shit out of luck essentially. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the daughters getting married kind of as soon as possible is, you know, actually like a financial like important in order decision. to provide for them. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, aspect is heightened. Because a large estate near them called Netherfield has finally, finally been purchased yes. by a young, single, handsome, uh, handsome man, rich man named Mr. Bingley. 5000 a year. 5000 a year. <laughs> all, all the men have like a number like attached to them, how much they make a year, which is like how do they just like publicly like tell everyone how much money they make? Yeah, I don't know how that works. It's an interesting system. I was reading a portion of my book has like some critical essays that gives some historical detail. Um, And one of them was about money. And they were saying that men are defined by their yearly income Mm. and women are defined by what they will inherit like on their dowry. That is true, yeah. So they'll they'll say like, oh, she has 30,000 pounds or she has a dowry of like 10,000 pounds. Um, so, cause there's like a one-time cash value basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Women are a one-time cash value. Men are the investment yes. long-term. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Mr. Bingley is moving into Netherfield and the mother is immediately like, we got to get one of my daughters married off to him. At least one. At least one. Not multiple. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Mr. Bingley arrives with his two sisters, his one sister's husband, and then his friend, Mr. Darcy. And we get this meeting where everybody from the Bennett family and their town kind of meets Bingley, his sisters, and Mr. Darcy. And it's at this small ball. It's like a little party. And this scene kind of plays out in both the book and the movie in a similar way where um, Jane and Bingley kind of immediately hit it off. Yeah, yeah. And they're like dancing together. They're talking. They're both like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, meanwhile, Mr. Darcy is uh, quickly realized to be this very prideful kind of uh not annoying man, but like just too good to really give anyone the time of day. He refuses to dance like the entire night. Yeah. And he also manages to uh, completely snub uh, Elizabeth by uh, talking shit on her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he basically Lizzie hears him say that she's not handsome enough to tempt him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> that was like major shade back then. Oh, yeah. She kind of laughs it off. Um, but I think she is sort of offended by this. Yeah, for sure. And it certainly like immediately casts him in a bad light in her view. Yeah. Uh, something I'd like to say about the movie, uh, kind of like the first topic to touch on is the way the film deals with exposition. Mm-hmm. And... It's interesting because it's it's one of these things that like kind of bothered me throughout the movie, but was really hard to put my finger on what was wrong in my mind with this aspect. And I think the issue is that a lot of the exposition, because I mean, this is a dense story. It is. With a lot of narrative and plot. And it is a challenge for sure to be able to tell this story like even the majority of it in a normal movie runtime, because it is only two hours also. Yeah. So not even like that long of a movie. Uh, But so there is a lot of exposition to give off. But the way the movie does it is that like oftentimes these lines are delivered in either very chaotic scenes um, when characters are moving or walking swiftly or they're at a distance and I think it honestly made me, like, kind of realize something about filmmaking, I think. And that's, really? like, when you're delivering exposition, if you want the audience to pay attention to it, to actually, like, absorb what's being said. Tune in. Yeah, it needs to be framed in a way where the character is, like, more directly, like, telling you. It's like if you were having a conversation with someone, if they're, like, 30 feet away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're not able to, like, pick it up as well, even if you can hear them. Or if they're, like, walking, like, not facing you. Yeah. It's kind of the same uh, feeling in a movie when you're picking up exposition that way. It kind of just feels like chatter. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. It's like background noise. Exactly. Yeah. And so even if you're kind of hearing what they're saying, you're not... It's not really giving you the information in a way that's, like, easy to absorb. Yeah. Or is cueing you into the fact that like it's important it's like a visual cue that you need to start listening yeah and this movie has a lot of energy in that way like a lot of different exposition is given in this dance hall scene yeah where it's shot like with a you know faraway lens and a lot of motion and things are going on a lot of background noise uh when we watched it it was actually tough to hear a lot of it yeah i think it was more of our streaming of it the background noise was kind of unbalanced and overpowering 
But yeah, it was just for this movie in particular, it's tough to get away with that, I think. Yeah, because there is so much um, to this world that we need to find out and kind Mm -hmm. of understand. I agree with you. It is sort of hard to it was hard for me to know what was happening. And if I didn't have the book, I'm not sure if I would have known. I would I wouldn't have had a clue. You know what I mean? Like, I remember at one point. Uh, Elizabeth is talking to Charlotte and I'm like, are we supposed to know who she is? Yeah. Like, are we just supposed to assume she's her friend? I don't know. Yeah. We've never, we don't have an introduction. No. So I, it really would have been interesting to see this movie without any context of the story. Yeah. Cause I think I would have been completely lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens? Jane goes to visit, uh, yes. Mr. Bingley's sister. For just an innocent tea or dinner time, but then gets sick and has to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> All according to her mother's master plan. Her master plan, plan yes. Yeah. So Jane is sick, too sick to even leave Netherfield. And so Elizabeth uh, walks over to stay there for a while with the Bingleys. Yeah. And to kind of like help watch over her sister and keep her company. Yeah. Uh, and this kind of is a... a Decent chunk of the early movie of Elizabeth staying at this house with Mr. Darcy, Mr. Bingley, and his sisters. Yeah. And this is like an opportunity for us to get to know both Mr. Darcy and Lizzie and Mr. Bingley and his sisters and like their whole dynamic. Mm -hmm. And we quickly realize that Bingley is great. He is so kind, generous, clearly is into Jane and cares about her. His sisters are like total bitches. Like, <laughs> yeah. they just yeah. don't care. They're pretending, like, all the time. And, in fact, his one sister is clearly trying to get with Darcy. Yeah, like, super hard. And yeah. she's kind of, like, constantly trying to put down Elizabeth. Uh, and it is worth mentioning that at this point in the book, we are kind of, like, informed that Mr. Darcy actually does kind of like Elizabeth. Yeah. She has, uh, what? Eyes. Fine, fine eyes. Fine eyes, yes. And, like, the exercise gives her a glow, mm-hmm. essentially. And you can tell that Miss Bingley is kind of, like, pissed about this. Yeah. And so she's constantly, like, putting down Elizabeth when, like, uh, she isn't around and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get a lot of interactions, too, between Elizabeth and Darcy. And she pretty clearly dislikes him um, ever since their first meeting when mm-hmm. he totally dissed her. Um, ever since then, she's just kind of been like, well, I don't really give a fuck. So, yeah. you know, um, and he hasn't really grown on her at all um so they have some scenes where they're like talking and kind of like going back and forth a little bit there's definitely like tension between them um darcy i think through these interactions starts to fall more and more in love with her whereas elizabeth is just kind of like ugh, what a what a dick (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think she like maybe finds some amusement in like sparring with him a little bit yeah but it still like doesn't like him you know what i mean and you know is maybe entertained a little bit by trying to figure him out but really just doesn't care for him at all because he's too prideful there's a line from the book that i really loved that was like when elizabeth was talking about disliking um bingley's sisters yeah And she saw that they were being kind to her sister Jane. And she was like, oh, maybe they're like nice. And then noticed that they like once they weren't around Jane anymore, they just totally like forgot about her and didn't care. Yeah. And she was like, oh, and then it restored Elizabeth to um, the enjoyment of her original dislike. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Which I, yeah, it's like so insightful to Elizabeth that she like wants to kind of dislike them in a way. Yes. Like she wants to be affirmed in her disliking. And it's the same thing with Darcy too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I will say though, this part of the story is a little slow for me. It was kind of the slowest in the book. I'll definitely say. And in the movie, the movie speeds it up a lot. We just kind of get one main scene between like uh, Darcy, Lizzie, um, Bingley, and his two sisters merged into just one sister in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) There's that scene where they fuse together. Remember that? (laughs) Yeah, that was very interesting. It was weird. A bold choice. I I agree. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but then Jane eventually gets well enough to return home. And at this point, we're led to assume that Jane and Bingley are like, pretty much an item or are yeah. gonna be an item because mm-hmm. i mean in this <laughs> i'm gonna say in this universe <laughs> you know that alternate pride and prejudice universe yeah 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 the the pp verse uh you know essentially you kind of flirt very subtly and then you get proposed to yeah so <laughs> <laughs> that's all you got yeah um but so after they return home there is another or i'm sorry i'm, I'm almost skipping one of the major character arrivals yeah. in the story, the arrival of Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins, who is their cousin of some kind, <laughs> um, who is going to inherit Longburn, which is their house and estate, because of this entailment that we mentioned earlier. Yes, uh, he is the closest male relative, and so... Uh, and this is like their first time really meeting him because there was kind of like a family conflict originally, but he's kind of like trying to resolve that by showing up. And he is a, um, what's the term? Like a clergyman, a clergyman. Thank you. So, you know, in the church and he is a very just silly and absurd. He is a very stupid man. man. (laughs) (laughs) He is very dumb but it's still like prideful. It yeah, because he serves. Well, I, he doesn't serve her, but uh, her ladyship yeah. is that the term? Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine de Berg is apparently a big effing deal, <laughs> and he's constantly telling people that, and he's like putting himself down compared to her. Yeah. But in a way, by relating himself to her, he's like lifting himself up. Yeah. So it's really interesting, kind of like humble brag. Yeah. That it is. It's a he humble is, brag. He is that. Yes. <laughs> uh but he's just very annoying. Yes. And he's like very kind of like creepy almost. Like he gives off this weird vibe that you're like just not comfortable with. There's some um, actually I really like in the movie the dinner table scene mm. where they're having dinner with Mr. Collins and he's talking about uh, the Lady Catherine de Berg and how he always tries to compliment ladies and things. Uh, and the looks that are happening yeah, between Lizzie, Jane, and their father specifically. Mm-hmm. They're like glancing at each other the whole time. <laughs> like, can you believe, can you believe this? And at one point, like Jane says something and Lizzie like kicks her under the table to be like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do like that a lot. Just kind of like. Just to reiterate the fact that they're, like, all kind of, like, making fun of him without him realizing it. He's not in on the joke. Yeah, I think that was a smart way of kind of reaffirming that. Yeah. I do have an issue, though, with Mr. Collins in the movie. And I'm fine with, like, different interpretations of characters. But, like, in the book, Mr. Collins is boring because he will ramble 
and give constantly. these constantly apologizing and giving these long rambling speeches talking about Catherine de Berg and just boring the shit out of everyone <laughs> and annoying them. Whereas the movie, he's just kind of like creepy. He's very creepy in the movie. Which is not nearly as funny or There's interesting. There's a scene where he he lays a flower on like Lizzie's like dinner plate. Yeah. And the way he like lays it down and the way she looks at it, it's like he's like putting a knife in front of her. <laughs> like literally that's is. what came to mind. I was like, it seems like he's holding her hostage and he's like putting a knife to her or something. And it's just the flower. But the, the tension and the vibe is is like that with him. Yeah, it's just like creepy and uncomfortable. And there is some humor derived from it. But ultimately, I think the character in the book is a lot more... Absurd. Yeah, yeah, a lot sillier. Yeah. And it, this it, in the movie, like, they cast, like, a very short man and gave him just an awful haircut. And it's yeah. more just like, look how funny this man looks. Yeah. You know, so I, I wasn't too crazy about the Mr. Collins. Whereas um, in the book, we have so many opportunities to hear him just be nonsensical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Collins also is there because he totally wants to marry one of his cousins. Yes, which is something that they did often back then. Um, but, I mean, his intentions are kind of good. Like, he knows he's going to inherit, so he wants to marry one of the daughters so that the property can kind of stay within the family. So he almost immediately kind of singles Lizzie out as the one that he wants to, like, propose to. Well, first he asks about Jane. Yeah. Like, Jane's the first one, and then the mom is like, well, Jane's actually going to be proposed to. And he's like, well, Lizzie will do. (laughs) Which later on he tells Lizzie, like, I singled you out, like, the moment I got here, which is, like, (laughs) even funnier considering he asked about Jane first. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Mr. Collins is staying with them. And then we also get the introduction of another character around this time, Wickham. 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 Wicked Wickham. (laughs) We don't know he's wicked, of course, at this point. (laughs) Wickham is a man who just joined the militia. There's like a group of soldiers that's in their town right now. And Lizzie and the whole Bennett family kind of meet him around this time. And he's very charming. Yes. He's like so open and friendly and kind and generous and like handsome. And everyone immediately upon meeting him is like, wow, I love this man. Yeah. He just has a captivating personality that immediately gets people on his side. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, Elizabeth gets to meet him at a party, I think, in, in the book. Uh, In the movie, it's, like, at a store, just kind of, like, them chit-chatting. Yeah. But she actually sees Wickham and Darcy have a weird interaction, uh, and it leads her to later kind of ask him about it. Yes, which this is where he unveils his tale of woe. His tragic origin story. (laughs) Yes, exactly, where he talks about how he and Darcy grew up together. He was the son of Darcy's father, Stuart. And that Darcy basically fucked him over because he was supposed to inherit um, a church position. Um, And Darcy, when his father died, was just like, fuck you, Wickham, and didn't give it to him. And Elizabeth, who already hates Mr. Darcy, is immediately like, oh, my God, that bitch. How dare he? (laughs) She's like, give me that hot goss. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, oh, my gosh, you're so, like, cute. How could he do this to you? Um, Lizzie is definitely infatuated by him and is, like, charmed by his good looks and good manners and his tragic story. 
And they definitely have kind of a uh, flirtation in the book. Definitely. They get a lot more time together than in the movie, which we will touch upon more later. I just want to say, though, like, if you're going to cast someone as Wickham, you need someone who is super charming and super, like, immediately you look at him and you want to, like, believe everything he says. You want to trust him. You want to marry him. And honestly, this guy wasn't doing it for me. No, I completely agree. He just kind of, I don't know, like, this would have been a good, another good role because we find out later Catherine DeBerg is a famous actress. Yeah. Or cast as a famous actress. Uh, but this would have been a good role to also fill with someone who's like someone really well known. Yeah, who's like very like he's not British, but like a Joseph Gordon-Levitt type, mm. who's just like very like boyish and nice. And you would be like, yeah, of course, JGL isn't gonna betray her trust. Or, yeah, someone just all American or all English, <laughs> uh, handsome and good looking and charming. And this guy really didn't do it for me. So I don't know. He's just like not that interesting in the movie no and i mean the movie doesn't do him any services yeah to make you more interested in him but yeah he's just kind of like a dude and i don't really know why elizabeth would be like so fond of him no <laughs> uh the netherfield ball yes this is a pivotal scene in the book and the movie where bingley throws a ball at his house Wickham decides not to show up yes. uh, because he has his weird history with Darcy. Yeah, and Elizabeth's like, Ugh, like she really wanted to dance with him. Instead, she has to dance with Mr. Collins. Yes. Uh, which is <laughs> uh, entertaining. There is a scene in the movie that, like, it doesn't really work, but it kind of does. It's like they're, she's trying to have a conversation with Mr. Co- or Mr. Collins is really trying to have a conversation with her. Yeah. While they're doing this like Victorian dance. Yes. And like the constantly like moving apart and around people and coming back together. He's clearly like struggling to like maintain Hold the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also Jane is also trying to talk to Elizabeth at the same yeah. time. So it is very confusing. It and is. I was like, I don't I don't know how to listen to any of this. <laughs> I know. It's another moment of like exposition really just being jumbled. And it's like, I liked where their head was at. It's a funny idea, but it just didn't like totally work in this instance. Yeah. And this is an important scene because what happens here is that Elizabeth's family basically embarrasses themselves like royally. We have multiple instances of just her entire family besides Jane and herself just behaving like shits. Um, like her sister playing the piano and being obnoxious, her two younger sisters like giggling and laughing and being like Mm -hmm. total flirts. Her mom just like spouting off about anything and everything. Her mom talking about how she wants Jane and Bingley to be married and how he's rich and just like just openly talking super about improper. that. Yeah. Even her dad. So it's just like, it's super embarrassing for Lizzie. And she and Darcy end up dancing together and they kind of have this weird, like tense interaction. Yeah. It's like very uncomfortable. Like Darcy's hardly saying two words to her. And, uh, it was portrayed in a very weird way in the movie. Yeah. In well, the book, they, are both kind of dissatisfied mm-hmm. with the dance because, you know, Lizzie brings up Wickham. Yeah. And Darcy is kind of like dodgy and kind of annoyed about it. And yeah, there's just this like tension and it's like all very uncomfortable. And the movie like does that, 
but also it's very steeped in like a sexual tension as yeah. well. Yeah. And to the point where like at one moment when they're dancing, it's literally only them. Yeah. Like everyone else has been removed from the scene, which is a very romantic notion. Yes. Like, oh, it was only the two of us. Mm-hmm. And then when the, but when the dance ends, she kind of like walks away annoyed and you're just like, how am I? What was that? Yeah. What was that? What am I supposed to feel? Like if they're, I don't know, if there is a sexual tension between them, where is it coming from? Like, it feels like that's what it's trying to put on you. Yeah. Without any, like, actual effort behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and in the book, like, we know that Darcy likes her, but we also know that Elizabeth does not Definitely like him doesn't. at all. Yeah. Uh, but the movie is almost trying to portray that Elizabeth might kind of like him. Yeah, and that's kind of a recurring thing, too. Is it, like, even at the points when she hates him the most? Yeah. There's, like, a... But I, I'd tap that. I Maybe. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Similarly, in the movie, there's another scene. It's this really long tracking shot through the party. And it's interesting in terms of like we get little tidbits of like conversation. But mostly what we're seeing is Elizabeth's family embarrassing themselves. Yeah. But the music that's playing is kind of jovial in a weird way. Yeah. And it ends with Elizabeth kind of being in a room off to herself. And ultimately, it was another moment where I'm like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. In the book, Elizabeth is there for all of her family's horrifying embarrassments. Yeah. She's present for all of it. And it's excruciating for her. And, you know, she's... Clearly seeing that not only is this on display for everyone, but Darcy is seeing it. Bingley's sisters are seeing it who already like dislike her. In the movie, though, it's almost like Elizabeth is kind of removed from all this happening. Yeah. Or it's like just kind of portrayed as like part of the chaos of the party. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really feel like I was getting that like deep embarrassment from elizabeth specifically no i mean there is one scene where jane and elizabeth are with their mom and she's embarrassing them and like that's very obvious yeah but this other long tracking shot there's another moment where mr collins is like sentimentally looking at a flower and like looking up and i'm like what is he feeling i don't know i can't grasp any of this you know yeah so that's kind of a recurring thing in this movie from my perspective is like i don't know what it's trying to emotionally convey to me in this moment. Mm-hmm, I agree. Uh, after the Netherfield ball, uh, we have one of the cringiest <laughs> moments Ugh. in the story when Mr. Collins corners Elizabeth in her own home. <laughs> and, <laughs> Makes her feel uh, unsafe and in her ass- own home. <laughs> assaults her with a proposal of marriage. Yes. In the movie, he is. they're at like the table in the morning, which... Side note, the mom seems to be hungover from the party before she's she's putting like an egg in her drink. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, these parties seem to go on until like the The morning. Yeah, like sunrise. And I'm like, how does anyone function doing that? I don't know. They don't have jobs, so. I guess. Yeah. But like go to sleep. Like, why would you still be up? (laughs) I don't know. But Mr. Collins is like, it's my time to shine. Mm -hmm. So he's like, can I have a private word with Elizabeth? And so the whole family has to leave the table. They're eating. (laughs) Everyone clear out. (laughs) And this is that scene where he lays the flower Mm -hmm. on her like dinner plate. And she's just like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, Oh, no. Don't move. Don't move. Don't move. He's going to stab me. (laughs) It is like it is funny, though, because there is like a threatening aura to him doing that. Like you said, putting a knife down, which I do 
kind of get the intention of. Yeah. Um, but we get this like really uncomfortable proposal scene where he's just rambling on about the benefits of marrying him. And eventually Elizabeth is like, I have to cut you short right there for a moment. I'm not going to marry you. Yeah. And it's actually kind of sad. At least when I was reading the book, I felt like it was sad that he won't believe her. He's in such denial. Yeah. And he basically kind of explains in the book to her, like, listen, you have nothing and you would be lucky to marry me, which is why I don't believe that you don't want to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, he's just like. I know it's the fashion to deny, like, the first proposal, so I, like, I get it. Like, listen, I get it. Yeah. I'll just do it again later. And she's like, I don't know <laughs> how, how to <laughs> tell you <laughs> to make this any clearer to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it, too, because in the book, she runs off and the mother enters the room again with Mr. Collins. And she's like, how'd it go? And he's yeah. like, you know, she said no, but I, I know she really wants to. And the mom's like, what? <laughs> He's like, it's fine. Well, it's fine. And so the mom immediately knows and kind of like corners Elizabeth again and is like, you have to marry him. We can get the house. We, you know, we can uh, not lose it completely, you know, when your father dies. But Elizabeth is just like, there's no way in hell I am ever marrying that man. I would live on the street in a gutter (laughs) with not a penny to my name. (laughs) We um, get the same type of scene in the movie as well. Um, It takes place like near this like pond stream. I've noticed that this movie tends to place scenes that happen indoors, outdoors, probably for just like more scenic variety, I guess. This movie definitely likes the natural outdoorsy. Like there's a lot of scenes of Elizabeth walking and just kind of these like... um, foggy landscapes and kind of like a very painterly aesthetic at points. Yes. Yeah, it very much likes that outdoor vibe. Mm-hmm. But we get this confrontation between uh, Elizabeth's parents and her. And um, the lines, I do like that the movie kept this basically the same from the mm-hmm. book, where um, Mrs. Bennett, her mom, says that she'll never speak to Elizabeth again if she doesn't marry Mr. Collins. And then Mr. Bennett says... And I will never speak to you again if you do. <laughs> I, it's frustrating, though, because I like that line. I love that line. But the movie really plays it dramatically. Yeah. It, like, removes all humor from the line. Like, she thanks her dad and runs away. And then the dad is, like, contemplatively, like, looking out over Staring the water. At the pond. Yeah, there's, like, no humor in it. Which, like... Mr. Bennett's entire, like, deal is, like, dry humor. Yes. And kind of just fucking... Sarcastic. Sarcasm, fucking with people. Fucking with his wife, specifically. (laughs) Like, that's his job, is is just fucking with his wife. Yeah, it's the only thing that entertains him throughout the day. Yeah. So, like, that's really lost in this version. And, like, in that scene in particular, it was, like, such a... It's like, oh, man, like... I know, because, like, the whole premise of the scene is that the his wife thinks that he's gonna back her up yeah and then when he delivers that line it's like she realizes and elizabeth both realize at the same time that he is not gonna back her up at all (laughs) and so she's pissed elizabeth is so happy and it's just this it's a hugely comedic and fun scene but i agree the movie is kind of like makes it like dramatic Mm -hmm. and like sentimental and that's not the vibe that Austin was going for in this. No, no, not for sure. 
So Mr. Collins isn't heartbroken for long, though, because he quickly uh, shifts gears. He refocuses. <laughs> yeah, just like he ro- refocused from uh, Jane to Elizabeth. He yeah. refocuses he, again. He pivots. Yes. <laughs> you got to pivot, you know. <laughs> uh, and he instead proposes to Charlotte Lucas. Yes. Uh, Elizabeth's dear friend, who unfortunately is 27 years old at this point and not the most attractive uh, woman. And... So, you know, she's been, unfortunately, not so lucky in love up until this point, but that makes her a prime target for Mr. Collins. (laughs) Exactly. And in the movie, I don't think it's, I mean, we've seen a few scenes, like a couple scenes with Charlotte. Yeah. Um, But again, I'm not sure we know exactly who she is in her relationship with Elizabeth. No. And to double down on that, we never see Mr. Collins and Charlotte even meet as far as I could like pick up. No, he leaves. And then the next thing we know, Charlotte just arrives and tells Elizabeth that they're engaged. The book has a great dynamic because there's a few scenes where Charlotte is around with Mr. Collins and when no one else can take Mr. Collins' rambling. Yeah, she, she, like, listens. She's very polite and listens. And, like, it's funny because you could see how he could misconstrue that to, like, her liking him. Yeah, which she intended. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I do like that dynamic a lot in the book. Yeah. And so Charlotte comes and she tells Elizabeth that they're engaged. And Elizabeth is just, like, super shocked because she knows what type of man uh, Mr. Collins is a silly man. Yeah. And she and Charlotte are very good friends. Um, they've been really like candid with each other about, you know, their hopes for life and for marriage. And Charlotte kind of is the opposite of Elizabeth in a lot of ways in her views on marriage and being kind of established and having someone to take care of her. And I would like to read a passage from the book because it's so interesting. And I think Charlotte is a really great foil to Elizabeth's character Mm -hmm. and how she thinks about marriage. So, Charlotte herself was tolerably composed. She had gained her point and had time to consider of it. Her reflections were in general satisfactory. Mr. Collins, to be sure, was neither sensible nor agreeable. His society was irksome and his attachment to her must be imaginary. But still he would be her husband. Without thinking highly either of men or matrimony, marriage had always been her object. It was the only honorable provision for well-educated young women of small fortune, and however uncertain of giving happiness, must be their pleasantest preservative from want. This preservative she had now obtained, at the age of 27, without having ever been handsome, she felt all the good luck of it. So I just love that she's talking about her knowing that Mr. Collins... She doesn't love him at all. And she no. knows that he's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> he's very, very dumb. Uh, but yeah, but she sees it as this like um, chance to kind of socially, you know, uh, ascend kind of in her life, you know, to make like stronger connections. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that like is basically going to be crucial, especially in like years to come mm-hmm. when she like can't live with her parents anymore. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting perspective and i love that jane austen even though a lot of this book is kind of this like romantic vibe in a way to an extent yeah and kind of like this like perfect pairing of like oh people marrying wonderful rich men uh she does counter that really well with like more real scenarios like charlotte marrying mr collins yeah and that not being super good or uh elizabeth's parents Mm -hmm. who 
she says a couple times, like, don't have a good relationship at all. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think it's super clear in the movie what's going on with Charlotte. And we don't really know. I mean, Charlotte does say, like, I am looking for a situation. He has money. He can provide for me, which is good. I'm glad that we have that. Um, but we don't get a lot of what Elizabeth is feeling about this. Yeah. Um, in the book, we do find out that she's really disappointed in Charlotte and feels like their friendship will kind of never be the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this quickly diverts in the movie in a very weird way because they kind of have this argument. Yeah. You know, where Charlotte like overly is like, don't judge me yeah. and, and storms off. Yeah. And then there's kind of a weird transitional scene uh with charlotte or with um i'm sorry elizabeth that shows some passage of time and then it cuts immediately to her voiceover letter writing to charlotte and is like hey can i visit you and then she's visiting her yeah and i'm like and there's no mention of like are they still on a weird footing having like kind of had this fight what's going yeah. on with them it's so weird how and much time has passed yeah we got a similar thing too when mr collins arrived where there was a scene where Mr. Bennett gets a letter. He's like, oh, Mr. Collins is coming. Cut to Elizabeth walking with Charlotte, explaining who Mr. Collins is. Cut to Mr. Collins, like, knocking on the door. Yeah. And I'm like, this stuff is so, like, stacked Mm -hmm. tightly that it feels very jarring. And, like, I didn't even know who Mr. Collins was a minute ago, and now he's, like, a major character. It it was jarring. And it it made me feel kind of tense that things were happening so fast. Like, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like we had time to sit with anything. Um, One thing I really do want to talk about in the movie, though, is it's kind of general. Like, we talked about its aesthetic a little bit. But specifically, I want to mention um, the kind of farm, rural, poor vibe that the Bennets have in this Mm -hmm. movie. Um, We get a lot of shots of, like, geese, chickens, pigs, uh, hay, like, the whole farm vibe. In fact, when Charlotte arrives to tell Elizabeth that she's engaged to Mr. Collins. Elizabeth is on like a swing in like a barn. Yeah. Barefoot in like mud. (laughs) And it's really confusing. And I actually want to take this chance to read um, a little portion of what my sister Annette sent us her opinion on uh, this adaptation. Um, And usually we wait till the end to read this, but I thought this tied in really well to what I wanted to talk about. So I'm just going to read a portion of Annette's uh, review. So um, in the 2005 adaptation, the Bennett family is portrayed as not just poor, but seemingly filthy poor. Animals run through their house. Their grounds are a muddy mess. The walls of their house are visibly dirty. The visual commentary on the Bennett status is inaccurate and misses the point of Austin's portrayal. In the novel, the Bennett family is cultured and generally well off, though their estate is entailed away from the family line and they're not rolling in the dough. Lack of fortune, however, does not equate to lack of education, manners, and their ability to interact competently in society. In the Georgian society portrayed in Pride and Prejudice, two things are valued, wealth and respectability. The Bennets may not be very wealthy, but they have general respectability in society. When we take a closer look, we can see why the Bennets' position as a family is fragile. Their respectability is sometimes called into question. The main faults of the Bennets are not their lack of wealth, but rather missteps that certain family members, like Mrs. Bennett and Lydia, make regarding their family's respectability. Because they have difficulty acting prudently and sensibly, they put the rest of the Bennett family in jeopardy. Yeah. So kind of mentioning, like, the Bennett family, yes, their estate is entailed away, but they are not poor. No. They make a 
like well enough to survive, to be comfortable, to um, live in society, to not have to work. Um, it's just that they don't have anything to inherit. So portraying them as like very poor, tied almost to like a farming lifestyle is mm-hmm. very inaccurate about their place in society. Yeah, and I think that's a fair um, gripe to have with that portrayal. Um, on initial viewing, I was like, I get it, because it is an easier story to kind of tell, to be like, oh, they're more poor. You yeah. know what I mean? And to visually be able to show that with the house. Yeah. And I maybe still don't mind the house as much in terms of like it being a little more like rustic in a way. Yeah. But I agree that the animals thing kind of goes a lot too far. Like there's dogs running through the house at one point. Like yeah. the dad is like, like pulling a pig through the house and we get a weird zoom on its balls. It's I don't... a weird pig ball scene. I don't understand it. <laughs> Why is it in here? Uh, yeah, but like the animals in particular are just kind of like abundant. And I can't help but just feel like it's more of another like aesthetic thing. Like we talked about the cinematography clearly loves like the outdoors and nature. And this yeah. feels like a way of like trying to pull that into more indoor scenes. And the director I've read that wanted to make the movie less like well-to-do and respectable and wanted to bring it kind of a little more into like what he supposes is realism. But I just don't think this was like what was intended for the story. And I get wanting to change things to make it make more sense. But um, I think this was a little bit misleading for me onto what the problem was with their family. It wasn't that they were poor. It was that like, they have to preserve their manners because that's kind of like what they have. Yeah, it's like all they have yeah. in terms of like hopefully getting married off because they're not going to have any inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's um, a pretty crucial aspect to the story. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of unfortunate that um, it either chose to ignore it or couldn't like work it in better into the narrative. Yeah. So Elizabeth goes to visit Charlotte and mm-hmm. Mr. Collins and she gets to see Rosings, the uh, estate that Mr. Collins' lady ship, uh, Catherine de Berg, <laughs> where she occupies yes. with her one daughter. Mm-hmm. And Catherine de Berg is played amazingly by uh, Dame Judy Dench. Yes, she is amazing in this role. She was born to play she's Lady perfect. Catherine de Bourgh. There's a great scene in the movie where she's talking with Elizabeth and Elizabeth can't drink her soup. Like she's <laughs> trying to like bring her spoon up to like spoon some soup into her mouth and like Lady Catherine just keeps like asking her all these questions and like won't let her even take a sip. I saw an interview with Judy Dench about the role and she was like, I was reading the script and there's one part about her yelling across the table to get attention. And she's like, okay, I get her. I know what she's about. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I know this whole vibe. Yeah. Uh, But so she's also um, becomes aware of the fact that uh, Mr. Darcy is her nephew and who happens to be there at this time but Mr. Darcy. Oh, no. Elizabeth and Darcy keep running into each other. Womp womp. <laughs> they have some more scenes here together where they're kind of like getting to know each other more. And they have some like sparring. Um, and he has his cousin there with him as well. 
Colonel Fitzwilliam, who is a lot nicer and friendlier than Darcy and Elizabeth and him kind of hit it off. Yeah. Um, there is a scene in the movie where they like force Elizabeth to play the piano and it's very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I liked seeing this in the movie. It is in the book, too. But I liked getting to hear her play the piano and kind of like the missed notes. Yeah. And her like actually struggling with it. And then when Mr. Darcy like walks up to her and stands over top of her, like, yeah, that uncomfortableness because mm-hmm. Darcy's like, I know, I'll just like slide up real cool to her and like chat her up while she's playing and she's like could you not (laughs) right now (laughs) um it's clear though that in the book at least that darcy is still kind of into her and he keeps like popping in to visit her at (laughs) mr collins's house as she's staying with them and they're all kind of like what is he doing i i did this was one of my favorite scenes in the movie the one scene where he like pops by and then just like stands there uncomfortably and they have like a minute conversation and he's just like, well, got to go. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, yes, that went awesome. <laughs> Good job, Darcy. Good, Good job. job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so eventually, Char- or God, I keep wanting to say Charlotte. It's because I see it in my notes. Elizabeth, I'm sorry. Elizabeth has a conversation with Colonel Fitzwilliams. And in this conversation, she's clued into the fact that Recently, Mr. Darcy helped a friend of his uh, avoid getting married to a very unfortunate uh, young woman. Yeah, he says that Darcy saved Bingley from an unfortunate match, basically, and implies that there were objections against the lady's family. And Elizabeth knows immediately that he's talking about Bingley and her sister Jane, because while all this has been happening with the Collinses and, you know, Darcy... Uh, Mr. Bingley has left Netherfield and gone to London and Jane hasn't heard from him and it just seems like all is lost between them. And Elizabeth, of course, is devastated to hear this because this shows that the reason that her sister's heart has been broken is because of Mr. Darcy. Yeah. And so she's like doubly pissed at him now. Like, you know, the the book is closed on Mr. Darcy. She's just like, screw this guy. Yeah. Uh, I never want to see him again. And then who shows his face again for a marriage proposal but Mr. Darcy? Yes. And this is like crucial. This is such an important scene. Probably the most important scene in the book and in the movie. Because it's the two of them finally coming clean about how they feel about each other. Yeah. Which is very different. Mr. Darcy is like, I love you. I want to get married. Will you marry me? And she's like, oh, re- I And Elizabeth I hate is you. like, what the fuck are you talking about? I hate your guts. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And it's like this very jarring, like, uh, you know, coming from nowhere moment where she's just like, doesn't even know what to say to him for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Did you want to read a portion of this? I do. This is a long scene with a lot of great lines, but I'm just going to read kind of the conclusion of it. She basically implies to him, she lists all the reasons why she doesn't want to marry him. One being because he screwed over Wickham and two being that he messed up Jane's relationship with Bingley. So, and this cried Darcy as he walked with quick steps across the room is your opinion of me. This is the estimation in which you hold me. I thank you for explaining it so fully. My faults, according to this calculation, are heavy indeed. But perhaps, added he, stopping in his walk and turning towards her, 
These offenses might have been overlooked had not your pride been hurt by my honest confession of the scruples that had long prevented my forming any serious design. These bitter accusations might have been suppressed had I with greater policy concealed my struggles and flattered you into the belief of my being impelled by unqualified, unalloyed inclination, by reason, by reflection, by everything. But disguise of every sort is my abhorrence, nor am I ashamed of the feelings I related. They were natural and just. Could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your connections, to congratulate myself on the hope of relations whose condition in life is so decidedly beneath my own? Elizabeth felt herself growing more angry every moment, yet she tried to the utmost to speak with composure when she said, You are mistaken, Mr. Darcy, if you suppose that the mode of your declaration affected me in any other way than as it spared me the concern which I might have felt in refusing you had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner. She saw him start at this, but he said nothing, and she continued, You could not have made me the offer of your hand in any possible way that would have tempted me to accept it. Again, his astonishment was obvious, and he looked at her with an expression of mingled incredulity and mortification. She went on, From the very beginning, from the first moment, I may almost say, of my acquaintance with you, your manners impressing me with the fullest belief of your arrogance, your conceit, and your selfish disdain of the feelings of others were such as to form the groundwork of disappropriation on which succeeding events had been built so immovable a dislike, and I had not known you a month before I felt you were the last man in the world whom I could ever be prevailed upon to marry. (laughs) (laughs) And that... Was the final blow. Yeah. That was KO'd. Finish him. (laughs) (laughs) She just wrecks him. Yeah. Uh, It is a really just like well-spoken speech. And it's so good. It's like this great dissection of his character. Because it's like middle portion is divided into two parts. There's this part that completely dissects Darcy's character to his face. Yeah. And then the following letter that really dissects Elizabeth's character when she reflects and understands things better. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, this is just such a great moment, well-spoken, and it really frustrates me how the movie did it. (laughs) Because, and and this is the only time I want to bring up the BBC version of the miniseries. Yeah. And I bring it up because... This scene is so great in the miniseries, in my opinion, and they're both roughly the same amount of time. Yeah. I get the miniseries has the unfair advantage of being like six hours. Yeah. Where this is two. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like these scenes alone, they're both roughly like five to six minutes long. Yeah. And the the miniseries just lets the dialogue uh, be spoken like with with some hostility but still mostly civilly yeah. and just kind of like let's the words speak for themselves exactly and the movie just really ramps up the emotion and everything the drama the drama characters are delivering lines of I mean, dialogue they're in the rain for god's oh, sake oh yeah just the constant like rain they're both wet and but the lines are like said so quickly that it almost doesn't even fucking matter what they're saying. Yeah. There's like, and then she's angry. She's like, like you just kind of get the context of the, through the emotion, but like not the actual words. And it seems like there's a lot of sexual chemistry happening in the movie. Like there's a part when they're done talking where it looks like they're going to kiss. Yes. And I'm like, 
why would they kiss in this moment? Like, this isn't a scene of like two people having like a fight, but then they like kiss afterwards because they're like so actually like in love with each other and they're denying their feelings. Like, this is a scene where one character is trying to propose and the other character is like, I would never marry you. Yeah, and I hate you. And I literally hate you. Yeah, and it's like so significant for that reason because I mean, that's ultimately the biggest, most interesting like dynamic of this story is that you have these two characters who can't, well, I shouldn't say can't stand each other. Mr. Darcy likes her, yeah, but she can't stand him. And it's like so apparent in this moment that they are so on opposite ends of where they're feeling. And the fact that it like manages to bring these two characters together at the end in a very believable, interesting way is why the story is, is good. But when you like try to infuse like a sexual tension with them throughout It's almost implying like, well, they're going to get together. You know they're going to get together. And so like the hostility is almost just like glossed over. Yeah. Or almost like foreplay. Yeah. And it implies that Elizabeth was like into him the whole time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people actually misunderstand the point of Pride and Prejudice and the story that it's trying to tell, because I think the assumption generally is that it's like enemies to lovers, mm-hmm. like two people that hate each other, but then like find that they're like sexually attracted to each other and they finally like give in and admit how they feel. And that's like definitely a trope that's very common in a lot of stories. And and I've seen lots of things that do that well, but this is not that. No. It's a story of misunderstanding and prejudice and pride and vanity. And one character who doesn't like Darcy likes her the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's Elizabeth. Who's like the one that hates him and then slowly changes her mind. Um, and he changes as well. So I think the whole, like making it seem like they're into each other the whole time. And like, there's a lot of sexual tension really yeah. undermines the growth that both characters have by the end of the book. Yeah. When it feels like there's just like a moment away from kissing, like the entire time. Yeah. It's just like, well, you're just waiting for them to kiss then. Yeah. You know, there's no a, point in any of the change and growth that happens. Exactly. Yeah. And like also Mr. Darcy in this scene, I don't love because like he's very earnest and sincere and like vulnerable. Yeah. He's and, a sad, wet baby. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like puppy dog eyes. He does. Like the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he's like apologizing a couple of times. Like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, that kind of thing. But like the whole vibe in the book and once again, the BBC adaptation is like he's almost mad at himself that he has that he like loves her. Yeah. And is like, listen, like, I know it's not a good match. Let's and just get this over. Let's with. just do this. Like, because I can't stand that I like you. And and he expects her to say yes. He's so prideful in himself that he's like, of course, she'll say yes to me. Like, I'm fucking rich as hell. Like anyone <laughs> would want to marry me. Yeah, exactly. And so. I don't know, just like the tone of the whole thing. Like, really, Mr. Darcy kind of never feels like he's that in the wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like kind of dickish at first, but like ultimately he just does seem like a sad puppy dog who like... uh, You feel bad for him in the movie. You do, that like Elizabeth is just like overly mean to. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's just like so many things in this particular scene I think are kind of like... Disappointing. A swing and a miss. Yeah. Uh, but then the letter. Yes. He gives Elizabeth a letter, which is supposed to explain some things that came up in their heated argument. The first thing is the fact that he separated Jane and Bingley. And he admits to this immediately. 
and says that he thought that their family was trash, basically, <laughs> and also says that he thought that Jane wasn't that into Pingley anyway. Yeah, which is like very interesting to like get that perspective in the book, especially because it was alluded to before in the movie, though. You're like, what? Why would you think that? Because we we hardly see Jane and Bingley together like no. at all. And so like trying to draw that conclusion about it is like very weird. Uh, and but then we get the um, Wickham Wickham explanation. The Wickham reveal. The Wickham reveal, which is that uh, he's a he's a turd. Yeah, he's a huge asshole. He basically like gambles away all of his money. He refused the church position and instead just wanted money. Mm-hmm. And then he tried to run away with Darcy's sister, who was only 15, so he could steal her inheritance. Yeah. So, yeah, he's just like a total dick. He's like a really shitty character. And this is a moment where, as Elizabeth's reading this letter, suddenly she's like, well, no, this can't be true. Not not Wickham, not handsome, charming Wickham. Yeah. And then she's just sort of like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Like in, in the in the book, she kind of thinks back to like several different examples, like one where Wickham is like, I'm not going to avoid Darcy. He'll have to be the one who leaves. And then he like doesn't show up to the ball. Yeah. He's too scared. Mm-hmm. Or um, him like overly describing their history, even though he like hardly knew Elizabeth, like a lot of examples of you're like, yeah, you know what? He kind of is shitty. That was kind of weird. Yeah. Or that is odd. Uh, yeah. In terms of like the um, the movie, this whole letter, first of all, once again, I don't know how Elizabeth is supposed to feel. You know what I mean? I know. Just from the mirror shot of her face. <laughs> yeah. She's just staring into the mirror for like hours, presumably. And then Mr. Darcy like creeps in behind her. It was like very horror movie-esque. Yeah. Uh, but like, I just can't tell what her emotions are supposed to be in this moment. Yeah. And in the book, we get her perspective and her figuring out this shit about Wickham and then also realizing how wrong she's been. Yeah. So, and she has this moment of revelation where she's like, I can't believe that I was so prejudiced against Mr. Darcy that I was willing to believe this like horrible story against him and to trust this man that I had no reason to trust really. Exactly. Yeah. It's this like huge shifting moment for, like, you know, it's the deconstruction of her character where she realizes how flawed she's been in her yeah. judgment and her, like, um, you know, her understanding of uh, Mr. Darcy as a person. Mm-hmm. And her understanding of Wickham as well. And we also get a scene in the book where she and Jane talk about it together. Yes, which I don't know why I wouldn't be in this version. I don't know, but it's so important because it shows how... Um, Elizabeth is feeling not only what we get in the book from her internal but talking with Jane about it and and the two of them kind of talking it through and kind of figuring out what's going on yeah like I get obviously the book is more in her head than the movie could ever be but like that's the scene that easily could have translated to the film and given you some insight into what Elizabeth is thinking at this point yeah and also the letter is just like this voiceover from Darcy once again like instead of seeing any of these like imagined scenarios like explained in the letter we just get like uh shots of darcy riding away on horseback and he's like yeah um wickham kind of sucked he like just spent all his money and then he like tried to bang my sister and i was like you can't bang my sister and he's like "Uh," and then like we don't like each other yeah it's like not an explanation about anything this would have been a really good uh opportunity for like a flashback or something it would have been yeah to at least especially because at this point we've only seen wickham once yeah we're like wait who's that guy again yeah 
you know, Wickham. Yeah. You know, Wickham. <laughs> yes. Good old Wickham. Classic Wickham. <laughs> classic, classic Wickham. Uh, yeah, so just kind of like a lot of this, for how significant this whole reveal is, like the movie has not built up to it well and does yeah. not like deliver the information or the payoff at all as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and we don't we just don't see what Elizabeth is going through and the change in her. Yeah, yeah. So, uh Elizabeth goes home after the Rosings visit and then we get a couple like quick moments or like key plot points, but uh we find out Lydia is leaving to go to Brighton. And if you forgot who Lydia is, it's the youngest daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, the flirtiest daughter. Yes. Who's very obsessed with soldiers. Soldiers. So many boys and soldiers to see. Boys in uniform, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> she's just totally, she's dropping her handkerchief all over the place. She's like, oh, could you get that? And yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so the since the soldiers are leaving for Brighton, she's going to stay with uh, this colonel and his wife that she kind of knows to be in Brighton so she can just continue to flirt. Yes. So Lizzie takes this opportunity to talk to her dad about Lydia, and she has the letter from Darcy fresh in her mind. Mm -hmm. You know, she's thinking about how he talked about her family was, like, super embarrassing and not respectable, and that's, like, really weighing on her. So, you know, she mentions to him, like, listen, Lydia is, like, a problem, and you and our mom have, like, not cared to even, like, talk to her about it. And, like, if she goes to Brighton, bad things are basically going to happen. Yeah, it's basically, like, spring break for Lydia. Yeah. <laughs> except if, like, your reputation actually mattered after spring break. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, what happens on spring break does not stay on spring break. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Elizabeth is just like, please don't. And Mr. Bennett's like, yeah, but she's really annoying about it, and I kind of just want her out of the house. Yeah. There is a good line in the movie that they either, I can't remember if it's in the book or they added it, but. He was like, I'll finally get some peace. And she's like, is that all you care about? Mm -hmm. And I did want to just really briefly talk about the portrayal of Mr. Bennett in the movie Mm -hmm. versus the book. Because in the movie, um, the actor that plays him is really great. Um, He's very like kind of lovable, charming, kind of this like older, like gentle father figure. He was um, Snow in The Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. Which is not a great example. <laughs> no, but he, he does seem very affectionate towards his family and even towards his wife, which is a very different take on the character because in the book, he's not portrayed as like a villain, but he is portrayed as problematic. Yeah, he's kind of like removed from caring about most of his family. He's kind of just like annoyed and he uses sarcasm and kind of like fucking with his family as a means of kind of like entertaining himself almost. Yeah, he doesn't really care. And Elizabeth and the author talk about the fact that like he and his wife are very mismatched. Yeah. And it's a a bad marriage basically. And so the only way that he can cope with being married to someone who's like not really his mental equal is to constantly like mock her and make fun of her. And he kind of takes the same attitude towards his younger daughters as well. He just calls them foolish and silly and it kind of like, well, there's nothing I can do, so I don't need to care. Yeah, and it's another example of uh, Jane Austen kind of like balancing the more romantic uh, matchups in this book with like more some more realistic, like either like 
you know, like Charlotte and Mr. Collins, who it's yeah. more of a... A marriage of convenience. Yeah. And this one, which is like not very healthy or good, but they're just kind of like going with it. Yeah. So I think that's important and something else the movie kind of like misses because they do kind of make Mr. Uh, um, Bennett seem nice and loving. Like there is a scene with him and his wife in bed. Yeah. Uh, that kind of seems nice. And so... Yeah, I, I'm not as crazy about it. As... Yeah, I think Jane Austen is warning that if you marry the wrong person, it doesn't just like it doesn't just change your like romantic story. Mm. You know, she's showing like what can happen. Yeah, yeah. and the, Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett are the best example in this story of a couple that is so badly mismatched, but there's nothing they can do about it, mm-hmm. and how that affects not only them but their children. Yeah, as well. yeah, exactly. I think that's a good point. Uh, so after Lydia takes off, then uh, Elizabeth... Foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. Uh, Elizabeth uh, goes on a trip with her aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. who in the movie when they showed up, Adina and I were like, who, Wait, who is this? Who are those people? Like, who's that man just sitting in the corner eating? And it took us a while to realize it was the aunt and uncle. Yeah. Uh, but she goes on a kind of country... Tour. Tour. Which, of course, leads her to Pemberley, the home and manor fate. of <laughs> to fate itself. Yes. Uh, to Mr. Darcy's house. Yes. And I love being in Pemberley because Jane Austen really doesn't describe a lot of scenery slash like environments. Yeah. She doesn't really paint you a scene. It's more like they went into the drawing room and then they talked about this and it was it's all dialogue. Yeah, that's true. So when we get to Pemberley, we do get descriptions mm-hmm. of the grounds, the lake, uh, the trails, the river, the house, the rooms, the decorations. So Jane Austen really takes the time to show us that this is like a beautiful yeah. and not just uh, elegant and like rich fancy place but like actually well like tastefully decorated yeah there's a point made specifically about how the picturesqueness of the countryside and like the walks and the lanes and the bridges and the rivers it's very like natural Mm -hmm. um so i think this is an interesting contrast where we see this coming out with jane austen and so we're like oh this must be very important yeah, and it's specifically also compared to Catherine de Bourgh's yeah. uh, Rosings house, which is like much more kind of gaudy in its decoration. Uh, yeah, so essentially uh, Elizabeth gets a tour of like everything she said no to when uh, denying Mr. Darcy's hand. And she's like, wait. <laughs> and on top of this, though, we also meet uh, this housekeeper who is just like gushing about her master, Mr. Darcy. And just like what a kind, like sincere young man he is, how he's always been that way his whole life. And Elizabeth just has to hear about it. She's like, oh, yes, he's so kind and the the most wonderful man ever. And he's so handsome and he's so tall. And (laughs) who would ever say no to him? (laughs) And then to top it all off, um, they run into each other. Of course. Um, Of course, because he's not supposed to be home, but he comes home a day early and runs into Elizabeth. And it's a very awkward meeting, but um, after it, they both kind of recover themselves. And Darcy is super nice Mm -hmm. to both her and to her aunt and uncle, who he kind of insulted them indirectly before because he talked about how she had relations um, 
you know, relatives that were kind of lower in station. And these are some of those. Um, But he's like very generous, um, very like open and friendly. And Elizabeth is shocked. She's literally shocked. He seems like a completely different person. And the aunt and uncle comment on it too. They're like, he's nothing like what I thought he'd be. Yeah. And so like, yeah, even though she figured out more about Darcy's intentions in the letter, this is like a change of like character yes. for him yeah. to be the, acting this the way. The way that he acts. And I mean, we are seeing him in his home. He's very comfortable here. Um, we have some scenes where um, Elizabeth, you know, goes and meets with him and meets his sister, yeah. which he really wanted to introduce her to his sister. So I think what we're seeing here is that Darcy instead of being like offended by their the proposal scene mm-hmm. is still in love with Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, and she's like completely thrown off by this. And the aunt and uncle are like, "What's going on?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so but unfortunately this trip in this uh meeting is cut short by a very devastating letter from her sister Jane mm-hmm. explaining how their youngest sister uh Lydia Ran away from Brighton with none other than Mr. Wickham. Wicked Wickham. Wicked Wickham. <laughs> you know, Wickham. Yeah. That guy in the movie. That guy that you all once. remember from yeah, the movie. <laughs> you know him. Classic Wickham running away with characters' younger sisters. Exactly. Uh, Mr. Darcy is there when she gets this letter. I felt like the scene was kind of weird in the movie. Yeah. Like, she, I don't know. She just kind of like goes in, grabs the letter, and then they're all standing outside the door, and then she comes out and, like, is, like, severely weeping. It's, like, kind of tried to play as a joke, and it almost works, where, like, Mr. Darcy stands up when she enters the room, but she's too emotional and walks back out, and Mr. Darcy, like, sits back down. Yeah. And it's, like, kind of funny, but then it's immediately, like, not funny, because she's, like, weeping. And it's yeah. like, okay, the, the joke is lost. <laughs> <laughs> but she and her aunt and uncle return to Longbourn to their house. And we get some exposition here in both the book and the movie about how this is going to basically like fuck the whole family, not just Lydia. Yeah. I mean, once word gets around that Lydia, because I mean, essentially the idea is that they ran away together to get married in Scotland, Mm -hmm. but then they kind of disappeared. Like they never got there. And they're like, Mr. Wickham wouldn't have probably even wanted to marry her because she has like no inheritance. And so the idea is that they're just banging on the DL. Yeah. And And Lydia's either too stupid or too oblivious to notice yeah and so so, so yeah. they're like this is gonna ruin like the reputation of like the entire family and this kind of goes back to what i was talking about and when i mentioned annette's comments on like the comments on their respectability and their place in society mm-hmm. because they don't have a lot of wealth their respectability is like what they have yeah so for that to be put in jeopardy it's like very risky um and we have a scene in the movie where the mom is like in bed and basically saying like no one will ever like our whole reputation like your reputations are all ruined too Mm -hmm. like it's the whole family not just lydia yeah and uh it's quite a lengthy part not lengthy but it takes a while in the book for them to like resolve this situation like they're trying to find Lydia like the uncle's involved the dad goes to London like kind of it's kind of like a manhunt yeah uh, to track her down the movie however once Elizabeth gets home she is in the bed she's in the bedroom of the mom the mom's you know weeping about this whole situation and then they get a letter when the dad arrives and they found her 
Yeah. And it's resolved so quickly. They're like, oh, they found her. And it turns out they are getting married. And mm-hmm. like, you know, everything's okay. And and it is weird because no one's really sure. They think the uncle maybe paid off Wickham to marry her. Yeah. Uh, to like maintain. Because at that point, like that's the only thing that would like salvage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the situation is if they actually did marry. And the only reason he would do that is probably if the uncle paid him off. Yeah. And um, it is funny in the movie because we see the mom immediately get back up and be like, oh, and, and she like pivots. Yeah. She like immediately <laughs> pivots to like, oh, my daughter is married now. Oh, At she's going to be married. Um, and it's funny, but I do think it undercuts the drama and yeah. like the seriousness of the situation mm-hmm. um, because she's not taking it seriously. And yeah, she never does, but we don't get any other characters really. Um, dealing with it yeah afterwards and also like the shittiness of wickham is like not really a, you know what i mean like yeah. he ran away with her daughter yeah and never Miss, intended to marry her no and in the book mr bennett at first is like he's never invited into this house yeah uh so like there is a lot of fallout from mm-hmm. this situation and we do get a scene of uh wickham coming to the house and it's just, like, nothing. Yeah. It's just, like, Lydia being like, ooh, this is my ring. Mm, mm. She's so obnoxious. And, again, I have a comment here just about, like, the performances. Because I do love both of these actresses that play Kitty and Lydia. Yeah. Um, Who, what, what else has uh, Lydia been in? She was in The Hunger Games. Oh, that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forget her the actress's name right now. But I think it's Jenna Malone. Um, but both of them are really great in Carrie Mulligan, but they, all they do is giggle in this movie. Yeah. Like nothing else. It's just giggling, strictly giggling. <laughs> yeah. And the book dynamic is interesting because Lydia is clearly the bad influence and Kitty is kind of like following her down this road. And by the end, it's, it's interesting because when Lydia leaves, Kitty kind of like improves, improves. Yeah. A lot. And mm-hmm. so I like that. Honestly, I think in the movie, they could have just done away with Kitty as a character. Yeah, what does she really add? No, like, even at least Mary, even though she doesn't do anything, she's at least, like, different in temperament. To distinguish herself? Yeah, she's very boring and dull and, like, drab. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Kitty's just, like, Lydia Light. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Someone for Kitty, or for Lydia to giggle with. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But let's address the Wickham problem here yeah because it is extremely it's a big deal for me uh in the movie yeah because in the story wickham is supposed to be darcy's counterpoint darcy's spoil you know what i mean yeah like they're enemies they hate each other they grew up together like there's so much history there and Elizabeth was, like, obsessed with him for a little bit. Yeah. You know, she was, like, she wasn't in love with him, but she was kind of infatuated with him for a while. Yeah. In fact, there's one, and when the truth comes out, like, it's this complete reversal of, like, the man she hated and the man she liked, like, switch places. And there's a really great line in the book where she talks about their upbringing must have been screwed up because one has all the goodness and the other all the appearance of it. Yes. You know, Mr. Darcy, even though he comes across like a total ass, is actually like a very good man. Mm -hmm. And Wickham can charm the pants off anyone, but it's just a a piece of shit deep down. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a great counterpoint 
between these two characters that's like so important, like very crucial to the story. It is. Especially especially because like we find out that Darcy becomes involved in Lydia's situation and tries Mm -hmm. to help them. So we find out that he's the one that found them. He's the one that paid Wickham off. He's the one that bought him a commission in the military so they could like go live somewhere and have a living. So like the fact that he has to demean himself yeah, and that he would do that for Elizabeth is so important yeah, and like important to the story. And that's totally lost. Like we still have that him doing all of this in the movie, but the perspective of it and like the contrast between him and Wickham and Wickham just as a character in general, it's like nothing. Yeah. Especially so much of the plot itself revolves around Wickham, a man we've only seen the one time Yeah, for him to be like referenced so much afterwards. Like, Oh, Wickham, like what happened to Wickham? She ran away with Wickham. And it's Mm -hmm. like, who is this guy that we keep hearing about? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think a huge (laughs) structural plot problem with the movie in general. I agree. Uh, so after this is all resolved, Mr. And Lydia takes off. They basically are like, you have to get out of here. You have to go across the country. <laughs> you have to live as far away as possible. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and Lydia is just like totally obnoxious and like almost there's like no help for her. Yeah. Essentially. So they just kind of are like they get rid of her. <laughs> uh, but then Mr. Bingley returns to Netherfield. Yes. And with Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. And, like, once again, there's all kinds of hubbub. Jane is, like, resolved to, like, I'm not expecting anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm over him. I'm so over him. I do have to say, I know we've been criticizing the movie a lot, but I love this scene in the movie. Yeah. When they're, when Mr. Oh, Bingley's yes. coming and the mom is like, everybody, don't panic. Like, hurry up. And <laughs> everyone's, like, cleaning up. And she's like, act natural, act natural. And, <laughs> and we you just see them, like scrambling like hiding things under the couch yeah it, it's it's very funny and well done i do like that scene a lot. and then the shot we get when the door opens of them like perfectly elegantly standing up yeah. like nothing went went down just a few <laughs> minutes ago yeah. i did enjoy that a lot uh but so bingley comes back in the book they have like one interaction and then he comes back again later but essentially he's there to like propose yeah and in the movie he starts his proposal as all proposals should start yes by calling himself an ass and apologizing <laughs> exactly <laughs> first of all i'd like to start this proposal with an apology <laughs> uh and so of course jane is overwhelmed with emotion and agrees to it and then we're left with happy feelings and then mr darcy kind of just hanging around and being like what's up elizabeth <laughs> How you doing? And Elizabeth right now is the only one really that knows that Darcy was the one who fixed everything with Lydia Mm -hmm. and like saved their family's reputation and paid like a shit ton of money to a man that he hates. So she's like looking for an opportunity to talk to him, but it's so awkward because of like the conventions of the time Mm -hmm. that she's like, I'm standing over here and then he's over there and I can't walk over. Like literally like that's the shit. I know. She's like, I really (laughs) want to sit beside him, but I can't stop anyone else from sitting anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) It was kind of frustrating while reading it. The movie kind of skips all of this completely. Um, But in the meantime, uh, Elizabeth does get a visit from Lady Catherine de Bourgh. That's right. I I always want to skip that part. And how could I? Because it's so dramatic. It's so good. Would oh shall the shades of Pemberley be thus polluted? <laughs> <laughs> the shade that is thrown back and forth. I know uh, between uh, the amazing Dame Judi Dench 
uh, and Kira Knightley in this scene. Uh, and just in the book in general, the dialogue is so good. Yeah. I do miss the wittiness of it. Like, all the wittiness in the movie is just played for drama. Mm-hmm. But in the book, it can be quite funny at points. Yeah. Like, uh, Lady Catherine de Bourgh is like, I know it's impossible that, like, you two would ever marry, but I came down here to make sure you're not going to marry. And she's like, I thought you just said it was impossible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's just, like, avoiding the questions and just fucking with her. Yeah, it is funny. It, it's what very... But, like, you know, it's all drama in the movie. Yeah. And, um... So, yeah, she kind of leaves in a huff. There's some barbs exchanged, but Elizabeth kind of holds her ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love it for her. I love this look for her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then she takes off and Darcy shows up again. And in the book, I want to talk about that first. Darcy um, and Elizabeth end up going on a walk together. Mm -hmm. um, And Elizabeth finally says something and is basically like, I know that you're the reason that my family is not like our reputation is not like completely ruined. Um, and then he finally is like, Oh yeah, it was me. I didn't really want you to know. And he confesses to her that he still loves her. Yeah. And that he basically did everything for her. Yeah. And he just, he kind of talks about his growth and the way the word stuck with him. And especially, like, if you had acted in a more gentlemanly fashion. Yeah. Like, just kind of explaining, like, how he had never been very self-reflective in that way and just the growth he experienced through that. And you're like, wow, this is so great. And Elizabeth talks similarly about the letter. and Yeah, how they her- just talk about how they have both changed and that they both took that experience where they, like, basically, like, bitched each other out. Yeah. Um, and then the letter... As, you know, a reflection instead of just being like, no, I was right. I was right. Um, They both took time to reflect and were like, well, you know, I was wrong. I was we were both blind and they both change in their own ways. And Darcy's change is so profound and so interesting. And it's so genuine and emotional that I always get like really like sentimental thinking about it because it's so beautiful. And I do want to read Um, Just a passage from the book about it. Um, So this is Darcy talking to Elizabeth. I've been a selfish being all my life, in practice, though not in principle. As a child, I was taught what was right, but not taught to correct my temper. I was given good principles, but left to follow them in pride and conceit. Unfortunately, an only son, for many years an only child, I was spoiled by my parents, who thought, who though good themselves, my father particularly, all was benevolent and amiable allowed, encouraged, almost taught me to be selfish and overbearing, to care for none beyond my own family circle, to think meanly of all the rest of the world, to wish at least to think meanly of their sense and worth compared with my own. Such I was from eight to eight and twenty, and such I might still have been but for you, dearest, loveliest Elizabeth. What do I not owe you? You taught me a lesson, hard indeed at first, but most advantageous." By reception, you showed me how insufficient were all my pretensions to please a woman worthy of being pleased. Had had you then persuaded yourself that I should? Indeed I had. What will you think of my vanity? I believed you to be wishing, expecting my address. So he talks about how he thought that she would immediately accept him. Yeah, there's like no doubt in his mind. And then her taking him down essentially was just like, whoa, a wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he's really peddling that only child theory. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was an only child. That explains everything. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's this really great, sweet scene. 
uh, following scenes ensue in the book where uh, Mr. Darcy asks for her hand or asks Mr. Bennett. And then a scene with Mr. Bennett asking Elizabeth, like, are you two, like, punking me? Like, what's happening? <laughs> like, are you okay? Do you need to go to, like, a doctor? And similarly with Jane, and which is funny because Elizabeth now, after, like, bashing and bad-mouthing Darcy so much, she has to now, like, Repent that. eat crow and, like, tell everyone they're marrying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, then everyone gets married. And, you know, Jane to Bingley, Elizabeth to Darcy, and it's all very sweet and nice and happy. Yeah, and they live happily ever after. They do, even though a lot of other characters don't, but they do. <laughs> yeah. So that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, in the movie, after Lady Catherine visits in the middle of the night, Elizabeth just wakes up in the early morning and decides to like walk through the countryside uh, alone. And so she like takes off. Mm-hmm. And then in the distance, like the coming mist. over the like rise is Mr. Darcy, like in a nightshirt. <laughs> Jacket flapping, shirt unbuttoned. He's like not dressed. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he's like. What was he planning on doing? W- yeah, where's he going? <laughs> where are they? There's a lot of that in this movie. Like the scene where the fight or the the proposal and argument. Yeah. Like, it takes place at this random spot that you're like, where are they and why are they here? Yeah. Uh, kind of similarly in this scene, like, they didn't plan to meet here, but why are they here? Yeah. And why are they both not dressed? Uh, yeah. And it's kind of just like this very lame, like, oh, I I love you. I love you, too. And mm-hmm. just like... You have bewitched me, body and soul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And Elizabeth is like, I was wrong about you, yeah. And Darcy's just like, yeah, you were. <laughs> like there's there's like no confirmation about of growth from him. No. You know what I mean, which is like very I mean, he tells her that he did the whole Lydia Wick- Wickham thing for her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that like sweet sweet growth that we get in the mm. book that I love so much because it's an example of a man who's been literally rejected and like she like shit on him completely instead of like turning to her and being like, well, you're just a whore anyway. <laughs> instead of instead of going on message boards and complaining online. Yeah, yeah. He was like, well, maybe she's right. Maybe I need to, like, look at myself and make a change. Yeah. And, like, you just don't see that very often in stories about, like, a romance. You know what I mean? Especially from, like, the early 1800s. Yeah, and, like, this, and this story being so often misinterpreted as, like, enemies to lovers yeah. totally misses the actual change and, like, development that Darcy goes through because of Elizabeth. Yeah, and also Elizabeth's transformation of, like, her having misunderstood Darcy is very, like, not explored super well because she doesn't get to talk to anyone. No. And also the scenes of her looking contemplative. I'm like, what is she thinking or experiencing right now? And then when she goes to Pemberley and is looking at his statue, it's like she clearly loves him now, but I missed the part when that changed. Yeah. You know, so it's just neither arc is either like Darcy's arc isn't there and her arc is just like really uh, muddied and hard to follow. Not satisfying. Exactly. Yeah. And Similarly, we get uh, the marriage, the asking Mr. Bennett, and then we get one final scene of them at Pemberley, <laughs> uh, like weirdly just like being overly. They're like sitting on a table on the porch. Like, yeah, under the like stars. it's 16 candles. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an odd, I don't know. And then they're like overly affectionate. 
with each other. Apparently, a- this was cut from the UK release. I did read that. But then people were mad, so then they put it back in. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I would have been fine without this moment. Yeah. Because he, he just keeps saying, Mrs. Bennett. Or no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's secretly into her mom. <laughs> no, Mrs. Darcy, he keeps saying over and over, and it's just like, ah. Which I don't know if that's romantic because he's just saying his own name. <laughs> 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 Fair point. I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the that's the end of the stories. I don't think we will leave you in much suspense in saying that. I mean, I at least prefer the book. I don't know how you feel, Adina. So I really tried to give this movie a chance, but I I will admit that I just love the book so much that. It's really difficult for me to entertain, like, anything else. Yeah. Like, I just, the book is so good, and I value the writing and the story and the characters so much. And, like, Jane Austen is so witty, and her dialogue is so important. So every time I see it, like, rushed through or not any attention paid to it or the lines completely changed, it just makes me really frustrated. Yeah, it just, the movie felt like it was just trying to speed through the plot and the dialogue as quickly as it could. Like, not that they were actually doing that but that's just the feeling like it was just trying to speed through it to get to the next thing yeah or or like a scene of her walking quietly like it felt like it didn't care about that which is very frustrating i've heard some criticisms and i've mentioned this as well but it didn't come from me originally um that compared this movie as more of like a bronte story yeah um if you're familiar with um either charlotte uh Anne or Emily, they wrote in more of like a sweeping romantic gothic tradition with like the landscapes and the outdoors and thunderstorms Mm -hmm. and like a lot of drama. Whereas Austin, it's mostly indoors or on quiet walks and dialogue. Yeah. It's dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. And so I think this movie was trying to appeal to like this like drama romance yeah this aesthetic aesthetic yeah um and i i'm okay, i'm fine with them doing that but it's not really austin yeah i agree it just doesn't feel like i was gonna say my idea of what a jane austen novel was before reading them is like what this movie was yeah sappy kind of like melodrama with like you know politeness and stuff but, like, none of the humor and the real wit and, like, real dive into character dynamics. The sharp sarcasm. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is the movie. This is what I would have imagined before having read her, which is why I think it's such a dis- disservice to, like, yeah. what her books are actually like. Because it does create that false impression. And, you know, Ian and I were talking. We were like, we would have thought, honestly, that adapting, like, a good Jane Austen movie would be impossible because it is so difficult. But we just watched Emma. The new Emma. The new Emma adaptation. And that, like, really captures the wit and sharpness of Jane Austen, but in a fun and, like, sweet, but still, like, very sarcastic and sharp way. Oh, my God, yeah. It, like, it gets the humor right, but also, like, the romance and, like, the sexiness. Like, it's so funny because this movie felt like, Pride and Prejudice felt like it was abandoning the comedy so it could be romantic, You know what I mean? Like, it had to do a trade-off. Yeah. But Emma clearly showed that, like, you can have the comedy. But then also, there's a dance scene in Emma that is, like, the sexiest Jane Austen scene in any adaptation ever. And it's so well done. It is. And that movie, 
like I'm not as familiar with that book having read it a while ago, but like it captures all the main plot beats pretty well from what I remember of it. Yeah. Some things are glossed over a little too quickly, but overall it's like incredibly accurate and like covers the story really well. So it is possible, I think, even for Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. But I understand it being a difficult achievement. For sure. Yeah. So we acknowledge that even though we are saying it could have happened. (laughs) Yes. So the book is better. Mm -hmm. We're sorry if you like the movie, um, but really the book, God, the writing. Yeah. I know. I know. It was it was excellent. I really loved reading this one. And I think it's a book from both of us. It's a book. Let's do lightning round. Okay, so first up for lightning round, one of the funniest little parts in the book that was once again excluded from the movie is when Mr. Bennett is told by uh, Elizabeth that it was, in fact, Mr. Darcy who paid off Wickham to marry Lydia. Yeah. And he's, like, clearly, like, kind of overwhelmed by this. Like, especially in the movie, he's just like, oh, my God, how will we repay him? Blah, blah, blah. In the book, though, he's like, oh, thank God. He's like, if it was your uncle, I'd have to pay him back. But Mr. Darcy, I I don't. Like, it's fine. He's like, I'll (laughs) offer to. He's like, I'll offer to pay him back. But he'll deny it, and then it'll be fine. (laughs) He's like, whew. He's like, I really dodged a bullet on that one. He's so funny. I know. (laughs) So from the movie, I just want to mention that when uh, Lydia and Wickham return after they're married, there's a couple scenes where they're like sitting at the table and then when they're saying goodbye to them when they're leaving, where Kitty is like clearly into Mr. Wickham. Yeah. Like she makes the comment like, can I visit you? Mm. And that's when the dad's like, no. Um, (laughs) But she's like eyeing him and like giggling a lot. And I'm like, she totally wants to bang him. (laughs) (laughs) I also thought that Mary was into Mr. Collins maybe in the movie. Because like there's a scene when he enters the room to propose to Elizabeth and Mary kind of like turns from the piano and kind of it's upright, like, you know, looks at him in a way. Ah. And I was like, they actually would be like a better match than almost anyone else. Probably. So I was like, mm, maybe a missed opportunity there. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to keep this lightning round a little short since our episode is a little longer um, for this topic because we had so much to discuss. There's so much. Yeah. So many things. So um, we hope you enjoyed listening to our Pride and Prejudice episode. Again, we're going to do a bonus episode for all our patrons. So check us out on Patreon um, for the BBC miniseries. Um, So yeah, check us out on Patreon. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram, on Twitter and on Facebook. Yes. And if uh, you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, giving us a uh, good star rating or written review is a huge help in uh, just, you know, making the podcast look good and, uh, you know, raising our uh, visibility on that platform. So that's also uh, greatly appreciated. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening. It was a pleasure. <laughs> it was. We really enjoyed this one. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.